0: and
1: circumstances are unacceptable. It's always a good idea to remember how we got here.
0: Bussing over the mountains between Lima and Moraz is hard travel. Right now, the calendar testifies it's near the beginning of the 21st century, but once you slip off the coastal plain into the choke of collapsing Dolomite canyons, you'd swear it was the 19th. Tarmac here makes its living, helping burnt-out buses and trucks wind high into the Cerro Negro, where some slam down into plunging creases in the rock wall. Such accidents ensure that the ancient narrative about how the canyon won't permit certain unclean persons to pass survives in successive generations of travelers. On the bus, people sleep standing up, or bent at the waist, draped over the shoulders of those lucky enough to secure an actual seat. Chickens and guinea pigs writhe squealing beneath the feet of travelers too drunk or exhausted to notice the smell of bird shit and squall of unnursed infants. Black haired, high cheeked babies suckle at accidentally presented elbows or the intentionally proffered thumb joints of strangers seeking to induce a moment of relative silence amid the subtle groans of aching, quasi conscious bodies. The ancient bus bounces through the lunar landscape like a traveler slipping into a daydream. Answer is 16. This is his first trip to a foreign place on his own. His parents promised that for his birthday he could choose an adventure of his own making and they would support it. Of all the adults he's met in his young life, answer's parents always seemed the most aware. These people taught him to lay claim to the power of belief that the world calls magic. By the shuddering light of campfires on backpacking trips in the Sierras, during countless late dinners sitting on threadbare kilims that covered the library floor, his folks would speak about the ways of the world, describes things that it cannot fully explain. Some call the inexplicable mystery, they said, which puts the unknown in a light that leaves room for hope, hope for the emergence of a reasonable explanation, while allowing room for acceptance if none can be found, Scientists, his folks explained, categorize baffling propositions as problematic. From this vantage point, they can easily justify lives dedicated to the exasperation of pushing into an infinitely expanding sea of what is not known or, while self-evident, continues to defy explanation. Scientific processes, parents believed, allowed inquiring and unsettled minds to continue seeking without being forced to abandon their voyage simply because it has produced nothing more tangible than frustration of an ongoing irresolution. Clerics, his mom asserted, resolved the quandary through the creation of an opt-out clause called the miracle. Using this device, a thing may be relegated to this specially crafted ecclesiastical province exempt from the laws of reason. After biting into Heitzinger, chaos, and string theory, Lumbering through Aquinas and wondering where a mind like Wittgenstein's could come from, Answer found himself a seeker fully in the embrace of magic. For that reason, alone, he sits now, stiffened by cold, in a pitch-black room of stone amid the ruins of Chavin de Huantar. He is perhaps a hundred meters from where the cliffs of the Cajon de Conchucas collapse into the narrow-hipped Wari River valley. Peyote led him here. It would please Answer's proud intellect to take credit for having concluded on his own that to satisfy an expanding hunger for knowledge, he had chosen to come. But that would be bullshit. This is what happened. Answer ate peyote with his friend, Collie Gray. He and Collie had homeschooled together for 12 years. While Answer was looking for the thing behind the thing, Always certain there was some unseen hand moving events, Kali saw the world from a radically different perspective. From where he stood, reality took the form of a continuously unfolding schematic. That is to say, everything that came to him, solutions to math problems, designs for kayaks and chemical formula, an endless stream of notions, propositions, and random ideas rolled out in the form of full-color three-dimensional drawings that appeared... Disconcertingly, on flat surfaces, whether or not a particular problem was under his conscious consideration. This could prove most inconvenient, particularly if the windshield suddenly turned into a blueprint while he was trying to drive. Their differences understanding the world and its function did nothing to distance them from one another. Answer could close his eyes and see call in his head. He could harmonize with that friend energy, as if listening to himself, They habitually shared everything, big or small, any random notion about all subjects, living or inanimate. In the end, that extended to experimenting with hallucinogens. Answer knew an older guy, John, who strongly evangelized for peyote. All that other shit is fuck around, he'd sneer as he passed the joint. You serious about knowing something bigger than yourself, your ego? Consult the teacher, hombre, maestro Peyoto. They scored a small burlap bag of fresh peyote from a dude who spent a month outside Bisbee, Arizona, scouring the desert for mature buttons. They cruised down to sit on the hillside of Lucia Canyon on the Big Sur coast. They followed the instructions given by John. Don't fuck around trying to make that shit taste good, he growled. No milkshakes, no blenders, no bullshit. You want to know what the old dude has to offer you? Go straight at it, native style. As instructed... Both of them put small slivers behind their rear molars, gave it a little squeeze, and pushed it down between cheek and gums. Thirty minutes passed. Nausea came over them in long swells between whitecaps. Their mouths became numb where the alkaloid mush nested behind their molars. Light began to be intensely bright and colorful. They ate a little more. answer stripped off his shirt, He began to notice how shadows felt heavy on his arms and legs, so he scooched downhill on his ass until he sat in a patch of sunlight. Too hot. He stripped off his clothes so his skin could breathe once he'd closed his mouth and nose. Kali slid down in the redwood duff and settled beside Anser. He folded his legs yogi-style and took a pose. Anser turned and beheld Kali as he sat, shirt wrapped around his head, a naked man child coastal mufti, a glow in the spring air shimmer. An unknown quantity of time passed. Dude, close your eyes and check this out, Carl whispered. Look down slope. Answer shut his eyes and immediately felt his arms lift, rising from the shoulder until they were extended directly in front of him, hands thrust up as if braced against a window. Nothing. Technicolor, nothing. Rorschach swirls of, what was that, anyway? In the distance, there was a grid of wavering neon lines. Collie's voice breezed, see it, dude, see it? Yeah, answer Side. yeah, man, I see it. Below, traversing the hillside, in a dozen varying shades of red, amber, and blue, a series of pencil lead thick lines wriggled and shook across the slope. Along the canyon wall and the cool shaded bottoms of the wash, enormous trunks of ancient redwood and sycamore stood out against the green-tan hardwood background, rising like majestic columns of wet wood smoke wavering in the air, so still it took on a magenta tint. Somewhere out of sight, fragrant plant colonies exhaled the scent of exotic foods never served, never eaten, into a day the two boys witnessed with a perfect vision, possible only through their closed eyes. In time, although if that remained a meaningful measure, one couldn't be sure, game began to meander down the canyon as it forged toward the coast. Each group of mammals that drifted into Answer and Call's line of sight seemed to segregate along a different color line. They could smell creature life, feel its intensity, wild boar, All tusky bristle slid exclusively down the tangerine thread, grunting and snuffling in the detritus of fallen seasons for savories the boys could not identify. Before long, Collie and Answer found themselves inhabiting the lungs, legs, noses, and mouths of the creatures that shuttled along the traffic worn supply routes, luminescing down the slope. Let's jump on one and see where they take us, Answer's urging appeared as agreement in Call's head. But which creature to ride? Quail were too nervous to adhere to, stellar jays too imperiously demanding, and though their sense of the world was as broad as their peripheral vision, they did not have a strong sense of feeling. Pigs were rudely arrogant and busy with energy so grossly rooted and heavy that they were not attractive. Rabbits were as fretful as quail, red-tailed hawk far too focused, and the snake's experience was too glued to the ground. Finally, a cat, a very large and confident cat, passed directly below, not more than a meter away. It stopped. Answer and Collie stared blindly. The cat paused and said, could be interesting, but there are two of you. Then, before either of them could summon a means to communicate their own sentiments on the subject, the powerful beast's energy simply slid beyond reach. I'm not sure what he meant by that, Karl's impression leaked into Answer's mind. Was he thinking of us as food? Insects fragmented and slow, butterflies dithering, loopy living leaves all exuded a magnetic frenzy that nearly lifted the friends off the soil they sat upon none of these creatures had the juice suddenly an energy that beckoned as attractively as a cadillac pulling over for hitchhikers soothing sure-footed gliding muscle-toned supple tendons twitching out of readiness deer the two of them were drawn from their bodies and pulled downhill toward the halo of deer warmth suddenly yellow filters stained every shade of color smells the bitters of rotting under the sharp sour scent of fungal growths mingled with acrid air that must have been bay laurel. Moving with astonishing fluidity along the hillside. Grace of motion. Athletic certainty applied to each unconsidered foot placement. Floods of taste. Odors as the falling neck lapsed toward shoots of something. Grass? Shocking flavors. Nothing sweet. No hint of oily ambiguity in the taste. Running rapture beyond words, flight without wings, breath so full and rich, you could not humanly pull that deeply without blowing up your lungs. How many steps did they take? Was the reddish-gray ocean deer they saw really solid? Could their animal ancestors really have believed long ago they could graze on that vast, liquid-moving surface? How did these creatures know each rock face as a relatable being. Then, once again, the sense of cat. This time, it was deer seeing. The mountain lion stood, rooted on a ledge overlooking a shallow granite gorge that plunged into a neck of the creek narrows. Collie and Anser felt the ache of poised hindquarters coiled tight with promise, waiting ever so still, just there by the sweet water pool in the crease between polished boulders, where the deer drop from the hill to slake their thirst. Not today. Today's free-rider deer would not stoop to drink. You have chosen fortune, the cat spoke directly to the boys. It is a strong run uphill from here, and the wind has moved with you. Now that we know each other, I bow to your luck. Today you may keep your quickness and deep breath, we will meet again. When you need what I have, call out in my name, if you have the courage. They wondered, what does it mean? Here, the big cat responded, I will share it with you. A curling scream rose from beneath the flattened fan of wind-crushed cypress, whose dense shadows hid the body of what the deer saw without seeing. Hosts, bolted, and the boys knew once and for all the taste of fear that comes with scenting your own blood on the currents of the predator's wind. There could be no forgetting such a memory. Anser and Kali knew that they had seen an ally, felt the touch of authority, heard the threat and promise offered in the power of such an alliance. Anser's intellect knew peyote was just a cactus, its message bound in poisonous doses of alkaloid, one does not gain knowing from simply ingesting an informant. Knowing comes within the person doing the listening, not from the thing doing the talking. Some teachers talk, others let the students talk while they do their teaching by listening. Answer learned by listening. Whispers and shouts of nature in the canyon that day and others told him that if he wanted to learn more magical ways of being, he must journey south to Chavin de Wantar to listen in the house of the jaguar, where the appeal of danger could spell growth or death. When his parents said he could travel abroad for his 16th birthday, his destination was never in doubt. Kali was born on the same day as his closest friend, and Answer's parents were generous as well as wise. That is how the two young men came to be sitting, side by side, deep in the bowels of the great pyramid at Chavin de Huantar, held secure in the Callejón de Conchucas listening for the voice of their long fang totem. Ancients designers built this cosmic altar so that water pouring through the massive buildings' wending stone ducts could force vast volumes of air outward, replicating the howls and rumbling of ancient spirits that lurked nearby, waiting to see whether the souls huddled in the black of its subterranean kingdom would choose its wisdom or its death.
1: Thursday 2331, GMT minus 8.
0: The distant whistle of a maglev cruising through Troutdale slowly breaks into fragments of memory floating through Answer's mind. Eyes open. Quickly and quietly, he scans the room, remaining impeccably still. He collects each muscle and nerve group, recruiting them into contractions, flexing without moving body fully re-inhabited he rises gently stretching his arms and legs to get the blood flowing in preparation for the coming round of work striding over to target he bends to check the pulse and vitals good for now have to dose them again before delivery answer walks to a bin and grabs a bright orange handset attached to a set of alligator clips an ancient rotary dial is on its faceplate. he wraps the wire leads around the contraption and stuffs the whole thing in his jacket pocket Next, he throws open the deadbolt and walks into the hallway just outside the storage area, turning to lock the door behind him. Lumpen gray clouds hover a 100 meters overhead. Looking up, Anser can't help but think how much like a ceiling the heavens sometimes seem. Living here must be like living in a basement. He crosses fractured concrete in front of the stolen truck and enters the shattered remains of the terminal building through a side entrance. Just inside, there are signs for telephone kiosks, and although the booths themselves are long gone, their subfloor cabling protrudes from the cement. Answer fishes around in the metal conduit of one of the kiosks and pulls out a wire bundle. Selecting from red, yellow, and green sets, he connects them to the corresponding alligator clip on his handset. After a quick check to secure a data tone, he dials a number on the rotary and waits. The absurdity of it makes him smile. Modern telephony is a shocking mess, every bit of it designed to pick your pocket in exchange for communication. But from at least one perspective, it is a miracle of technology perversity. In order to drain every possible cash of value, each new generation has a back door that allows for continued compatibility. As a boy, Answer lives in a town that still had party lines. You could call anyone in town using only the final four digits of their number Today, even with analog data modems going the way of dinosaurs, it is still possible to make a voice call with a device that was long outdated by the time of answer's birth. He rolls out a 10-digit number and glories in the sensation of touch as the dial brushes past his fingertip. He's grateful for the fact that although one thing leads to another, the accidental world of technology mimics the world of physics. One theory may lead to the next, but the core elements of the forerunner is never totally lost. It's one of the few dependencies Answer is willing to live with. A baritone voice in the earpiece breaks into his thought. What you got? Tracking a flyer cell. Got something belongs to it. Need the number. Give me what you got. Answer spits out a series of numbers he's memorized. That all? The question alone is mildly contemptuous. Who do you think I am? Come on, dude. You gotta give me something better than that. There's a brief pause, then... Okay, here's the data. Answer commits to memory the sat cell number that comes over the line. Anything else? Needles the voice. Since you're letting me stick with you this long, I might as well push my luck. Voice coughs out a laugh. Well, at least you're finally realizing what you're good at. Heavy sarcasm. Give it to me. Answer reaches into a pocket and pulls out Target's ID card. Reads the name, Lynn. Harrison Lynn, a serious high-ender somewhere. There's a brief, pregnant pause. You seriously don't know who this is? Don't really keep current, do you, boy? Yeah, yeah, enough of the pop culture bullshit answer sizzles. Just tell me. Well, you make it easy on me. Harry Lynn is the senior acquisition director at MobX NA, also one of the youngest, most aggressive executives in that company, or any other. He's the guy who organized the first deep-shelf petroleum drilling off California a couple years back. Answer whistles. Where they had the balls to argue that the Continental Shelf wasn't a part of any sovereign territory? That guy. Yeah, man. Last I heard, he was working on a similar deal for the Chinese Shelf. I'm guessing you're not going to tell me why you need this information at 1130 at night? No. you're realizing what you're really good at, answered Diggs. Thanks for the fix. I'll try to use it in good conscience. Do me a favor, snipes the voice. Don't call back soon, all right? Answer hangs up, musing over the information he's received. The petroleum industry has entered a critical phase in recent years. Some would call it the throes of death. Having exhausted all but the most obscure and hard-to-reach assets during the great fracking fail in the early 20s, the field of competitors has winnowed to one in which only the biggest and strongest can even pretend to survive. As a group, the most aggressive remaining companies have been sucking out the last remaining known oil resources, resorting to tactics that leave environmentalists screaming in the streets. MobX America is one of the last great conglomerates. If anyone would want Lin removed, it stands to reason it would be BP Royal Shell or one of the other big boys. Serious capital is at stake. Access to the Chinese continental rights would keep any one of those contenders in the ballgame for a few extra years. Answer considers all this for a moment, then taps back into the landline, this time dialing only a single digit. After a brief pause, a computerized voice comes on the line. Fiber repair network location, please. PDX trunk, answer says. I need a data quality control check to a SAT cell. He glances at the timer taped to the patch in, no more than 30 seconds before he folds up the line. Nothing remains unseen or unheard where communications are involved. Number, please, a voice grates. Answer recites the series of numbers from the previous call. Sat cell 989-546-9782. There is a circuit clicking noise. He smiles inwardly at the machine function that holds on to long, outmoded cues programmed into the system to reassure listeners that something is really happening. Then the voice comes back. Please confirm. Analog device? Confirmed. DA conversion test required. Accept it, the voice says. And then the familiar pulse tones sound in Answer's ears. Thursday,
1: 2336, GMT minus 8.
0: Coordinator sips tea in a Portland hotel room, considering her next move. Her phone hums. She stops thinking about the universe of disagreeable facts and looks at her device. The ringtone is one she rarely hears. It's configured to occur only when an unidentified caller is on the line. Although operational paranoia makes unauthorized access extremely unlikely, she jumps back from the bed with the speed of someone intimately familiar with the cell-scrambling effect of certain sonic weapons. From her place flat on the floor, she performs a quick... Anonymizer and weapons frequency screens check before standing up and addressing the phone. Want to tell me who this is? A scratchy voice emerges. Glad you decided to answer, it grates. I was afraid you might not take unsolicited calls. Then again, I'm sure you have ways of dealing with that. Indeed, coordinator starts a trace. Her people begin combing the photons, straining the ether in search of the source. She may not know where, but she already knows who it is. Well, she purrs, disdain. Our dear departed colleague. Want to tell me what the fuck is going on? I lost signal on the whole team. I'm not even sure we secured the target, and by the way, you sound like dog shit, answered Chuckles. Analog is beautiful and rare, no? Sound quality may not be all there, but then, from your point of view, neither am I. Your trace is a waste. As though timed, coordinator's trace bounces back a negative locator lock, indicating only that the call originates somewhere inside Portland's main network repair center. I'll play. A no-frills concession. Want to tell me what this is about? Predator's first principal answer responds, own the ground. Part two I'm sure you already know. Before she can respond, answer adds, We can work out your unhappiness with me and my methods later. The job's in hand. Coordinator stares down at the parking lot below as she sweeps it with an infrared flip up. Two's words echo in her head. Can any sight be as secure as she thinks? Despite an effort to control her tone, irritation crimps her vocal cords ever so slightly. Well, Butch, the way you manage a wholesale fuck up and still come away with the bread has me believing in miracles. So what now, hotshot? We are a service business. The voice in her ear streams spider silk smooth. We stand by our product or there's no payout, correct? It's time we work out delivery. Coordinator cradles the phone under her chin as she strips off her long sleeve blouse. It's hot and she's moving fast to jam everything essential into a small carrying bag. Time to take up residence elsewhere. If this guy found me, Others will too. Fact one and three have dropped off the world. Conclusion, urgency levels should reflect reality. Everybody says I'm uptight. That's correct. Would have been nice to get a nice sleep. Got a plan? Her words are clipped, efficient. Close this off and go. Resigned to the fact that her choices are severely limited. Please don't fuck this up any worse than you already have, dude. I got a bad feeling. No pings back from your associates. What's customary for you, I can't say, but when folks don't show up for the back end, they are probably suffering from something a bit more severe than a head cold. Answer isn't surprised. He's had a squishy feeling about this snap from the second the heavies produce guns down to tactics. Here's what to do. Check the clients from the bounce. Seems they're unsavory types. Who knows? Maybe they own both ends of the contract? Dry up every source since you grounded. That means the GPS tracker, too. Never know when somebody might try to figure out how to fly you on that frequency. He hears the sound of plastic being ground against cement. Go to the downtown Marriott and jump on the third floor optical lines in the housekeeping office. Be there by 4 a.m. That's three hours so we have some time. Pick up a handheld somewhere. I'll signal the next step." The cell signal pukes, and coordinator drops it in a trash can onto a bundle of credit cards, travel reservations, tickets, and her slick film dish. She strides into the bathroom and fills the can with enough water to cover all items. Back in the main room, a quick once-over. The list is automatic. Didn't take off your hair nut, didn't remove the print latex, never used a glass or the toilet. She yanks a soft mask attached to a tiny plastic vial out of her pocket and, slinging her bag over one shoulder, walks back into the bathroom. In a single motion, she applies the adhesive-edged mask to her face, flicks open a side valve. Oxygen flows. How is it that it tastes of salt? She cracks open the other end of a pinky-sized vial and dumps the contents into the water-filled trash can. Instantly, the water begins to roil and smoke backing out of the bathroom and closing the doors behind her. She grabs a hairspray can lying on the bed. She goes to the far corner of the room, begins to spray up and down, back and forth as she backs toward the door like painting herself out of a corner. Thoughts and recollections of storybook portrayals of just this sort of dilemma flash through her head. After this, she knows there won't be enough genetic material left in this place to support proof of life beyond plastic. At the door, She palms the handle, drops the can, and lets herself into the hallway and out of her second identity of the evening as easily as she'd let herself in.
1: Friday 009 GMT-8
0: Returning to his way station in the disused air terminal, answer takes a moment to dose target with an intramuscular, ensuring he'll stay out of the way until the job is done. After a quick scan outdoors for observation, he hefts the living sack and carries it back to the ancient truck. Once his cargo is situated, he secures the rear doors and climbs back into the driver's seat, grinds into reverse and backs onto the service road, headed back towards the city proper. Portland never has filled in. As he crisscrosses the shallow swells of pasture and berry lands that front the narrow back roads on his approach to Metro Center, answer muses at how this town has grown so fast that it's trapped fragments of its dairy farm and rootstock plantations the remnants of a simple agrarian time inside its urban boundary he likes the contrast appreciates the collision of cultures the bread trucks lemony headlights glow licks roadside ditches choked with grayed cattails and head-high tufts of wilted summer grass at one point Composting, traces of lazy rail fencing sprout chest-high alongside the road. A few of the gravel drives he passes are lit by thousand-watt bulbs of security fence, but these are more likely installed to prevent the trespass of livestock than thieves. Answer feels refreshed, ready to work. His senses shiver into high field as he begins to work his way toward the labyrinth of downtown streets that circle the core of the business district. From time to time, he can see just across the river the fires and generator lights of the extensive temporary city huddled in the waterfront park spaces along the Willamette. An unattractive and distinctly unofficial shadow city has grown up there in the Green Belt, originally intended for the enjoyment of Northwest's urban echo yuppies. This development owes as much to tragedy and the accidental outcome of tactics, as to incalculable random changes in climate patterns and sea levels that have made Portland a bit friendlier to the outdoor lifestyle. Not much less rain, at least not now, but warmer anyway. Answer's phone call colleague is over there somewhere amongst the post-flood exiles, idealists and criminals skulking just beyond the outskirts of legitimate commerce. A visit is out of the question, especially with an unconscious petroleum executive laid out in the back his mind double-checks the assumption, reverses itself. Under other circumstances, this is just the time he'd love to see me. Answer chuckles to himself. His grin is illuminated by the faint light of the speedometer. He coasts into the city proper by crossing Dolls Bridge. It is the only one in town that still accepts cash tolls, mostly to satisfy the tourist's desire to walk over. It's a lucky thing for Answer. Smart cards would light up a trace on him right now. Watchers are out in force tonight, no doubt. Below, the channel swims thick with semi-liquid chunks of the cascades. His consciousness begins to sort into what he thinks of as an endgame frame of mind. Everything now depends on maintaining a watchful upper hand. Once downtown, answer drifts toward the Pearl before hitting on a parking place next to a dank loading dock in the ruins of what was once Chinatown. Chinatown indeed, he reflects. Earlier generations of humanist urban planners thought maybe by building an honest-to-goodness Chinese garden, they'd attract some honest-to-goodness Chinese folks back to an overpriced tourist economy. No dice there, and now no garden either. Then again, no traffic, or most anything else in Chinatown nowadays, which suits answer just fine. He slides to a stop in a void between mountains of trash lining the roadway, kills the lights, sits back, and welcomes the weight.
1: We will be back next week with Chapter 3 of Criminal Magic. Please join us, and if you like what you hear, Leave a review and tell your friends about this podcast.